Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking. Today, we're talking Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, how are you today? Craig, I'm doing great. I hope you're doing the same. I am. It's a beautiful day. It's been uh, a little nippy for my style, but hey, I'm going to roll with it. So, Craig, I've never known you to complain about much. <laughs> now, all right. I'm not going to go there right now because uh, I'm just not. Because being the mature individual I am, and you probably never heard about that me being mature either, huh? So, all right, let's roll. <laughs> let's get off this subject quick. Let's start off with the uh, last week's Wednesday game. The cage is visiting, 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 what is visiting? Uh, visiting the thundering herd. Uh, you know, that was a game that uh, I thought was closer than the score indicated, but at the same time, I never thought thought was in doubt for the Cajuns. What did you get to see? I think you found your secret. Any game that has a weather delay, you guys are in. <laughs> yeah, I was texting Cody during the game. He, he, they, I heard Jay and uh, Gerald talking about the weather delay. I said, "Don't forget about, uh, uh, don't forget about the uh, weather delay at." Uh, with Eastern Michigan, but the other key to the game is uh, both teams had green on, so you guys don't have any green, do you? No, no. The Irish in the state of Georgia is mostly in Savannah, not terribly in Statesboro. Gotcha. So, what did you get to see in that game, though, besides the lightning delay and listening to Jay and uh, G talk about stories of, of the past? Yeah, I'm glad that they kept it there because that was really good radio for a, about a half hour. The, the whole thing was great, but to listen to them talk about stories for a half hour was was really good stuff, and especially the Arkansas State story where the coach was fired in the third quarter. They had the press releases handed out in the press box. I'd never heard that. That was, that was pretty phenomenal stuff, but it, it's almost as if the delay came at a time when the Cajuns just needed to say, look, we got a quarterback who's starting for the first time ever. We're getting some borrowed time here just to say, look, it's a close game. We do what we're supposed to do. We're going to be fine. And once – I think a Trahan's interception took place before that, but even so, once the once second half started, it just seemed like Woldridge was in control. The running game started to get going a little bit, even with Chris Smith out. And the league is starting to see more and more that even though Marshall has a ton of talent, there there looks like there's some issues. Now, this week they managed to play in both their quarterbacks because Columbia got hurt and Fancher came in and did fairly well. I, I would guess that they both play a little bit and they're both going to have to play really well if they're going to beat James Madison. But I think that that is more reflective of the Cajuns maybe finding something than Marshall slipping because Marshall's been on the downslope for a while. Really, you could see it after the Notre Dame game. Talented is all get out. Cable Labor is the best running back in the league at this point. He's almost a thousand yards already, but there's a lot of other issues with that team and it stems from not getting consistent quarterback play. What, what, uh, have you heard anything about Rasheen Ali and his return at all? I mean, yeah, Luke Creasy for the dispatch did a story either a day or two ago. Apparently he's still out. I guess he's getting closer and closer. It's, it's a mysterious deal where there's some medical and some physical involved and it's up to them if they want to reveal the exact reason why he has been out. 
he's been with the team for about a month because he left the team for about a month. He's been back for a month. I think he's been going through their protocols because every school is different in terms of the return to play. At this point, though, if you can get him for the last four games, maybe that would be beneficial because you could preserve his red shirt. But you just wonder how long it's going to take to get in game ready, even though he had amazing numbers last year. And with his way his labor and his rolling, I, I just don't know if you want to rock the boat that way. But it just depends on what's what's best for him mentally, physically, and wherever he's at and if he can really add something to them. Now, you mentioned the quarterback being hurt. But did that happen in the game, the Cajun game? Because they played both quarterbacks, and I never heard a reason why. Uh, but uh, then again, I wasn't listening to the ESPN, uh, the ESPN call. I was listening to Jay and Gerald. I think that he had gotten banged up the week before and whatever happened during the game, I don't know if it aggravated it, but it was, it was definitely an issue where he couldn't go anymore. And what made it a little bit different, these don't exist anymore because they all play baseball, but Cam Fancher is a left-handed quarterback. And it's, it's funny to have to put it that way, but you just don't see too many left-handed quarterbacks anymore because they're all pitchers now. But for him to come in and at least – steady the ship and then Marshall wasn't going to win the game but he definitely looked better than Columbia did I I would guess that Columbia is going to start if he's healthy but Charles Huff's already said that they're both going to play uh Levi Lewis just left-handed quarterback there you know I mean <clears throat> but yeah Levi was okay, uh one that's one more out of <laughs> all the quarterbacks Georgia yeah, Southern's but... had four left-handed quarterbacks in school history Levi Lewis is also uh, 5'10", 5'11". So if he if Levi Lewis was 6'5", he would probably would be on on uh, pitching or probably be at an SEC school. So, uh, no. Uh, no, I was just messing with you there. Let's move on, though. Coastal Old Dominion. Uh, I don't think a, a huge surprise. Uh, Coastal had been struggling. I, I won't say struggling. They 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 went in the game six and zero, but they they never they never looked like coastal the past. They never looked like they were taking teams out. Old Dominion was hot and cold at coming in at two and three, and uh, but a- any surprises there or what 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 was going on in the game? No, the way that I'll put it is, I think Coastal's been walking the plank for a while, and they keep avoiding the water, but it finally caught up to them. The tide was too high, the board wasn't strong enough, and what they had been trending to, I think we talked about that the last couple of weeks, they're asking Grayson McCall to do even more than what he's done the last two years. They did get Reese White back, but he's not 100% from that knee injury, and Old Dominion owned them on, on the offensive and defensive lines. They had seven sacks. And for a ground game, I think going in, Old Dominion was averaging 71 yards per game. They go for better than 330. They they just they went nuts with their run game. Now, if you're the team that plays them next, which happens to be Georgia Southern, you're going to wonder, okay, do we got to worry about the wide receiver, Ollie Jennings, or do we got to put more focus on this running game, which just popped up all of a sudden? I think the Coastal's got some issues. I don't know that it's going to snowball, but I think that they were finally exposed in a way that nobody's really been able to do the last couple of years. So I'm interested to see how they respond to that over the next couple of games. And for Old Dominion, not only is that the biggest win under Coach Ronnie, I think that's bigger than their Virginia Tech win. I think it's one of their biggest wins in program history. And I think that they said as much during the post game in the last couple of days, too. I, I agree. You know, the, the, and not to take away anything of Coastal's offense in the past, 
But that defense has really been kind of the heart and soul of that team for a while now. And you can see that they were exposed just through graduation and attrition. So, And schematically during the game, it just felt like Old Dominion could get the edge whenever they wanted to. And guys, just they were way too blockable and credit Old Dominion's alignment and their scheme for being able to get the wrap. And Blake Watson was oftentimes getting to the second and third levels and not even get touched. That's why he busted the three long touchdown runs. Just not used to seeing Coastal have that done to them. And they were probably a little shell-shocked because that was their homecoming. And for that to happen on your homecoming, Old Dominion's got their homecoming this week. But for that to happen with that brewing, that's doubly damning on them. And they're still bowl eligible. There's there's no threat there. But Old Dominion is now in first place in the East because they won that game. And Georgia Southern could muddy the waters even more if they can win in Norfolk. But that, that's, that's a really impressive performance for the Monarchs and one for Coastal where you've got to think, yeah, this has been brewing for a little bit. It's happened. Who are we going to be from here? Yeah, we'll see which coastal team shows up next. Uh, moving on, on Troy at Texas. Uh, I'm sorry, Texas State visiting Troy. This is a game that that we talked about. That uh, again, with the Bobcats coming in, uh, didn't think they had enough to win the game, but I think they made a little bit of a statement there. Uh, you know, losing only 14 to 17. Again, no moral victories, but at the same time, that was a game that uh, I think Texas State looked better than than, than what we thought. Yeah, because typically when they've gotten a big win the week before, the, the egg has been laid the game after. And honestly, Georgia Southern can relate to that a little bit. And you hope that it doesn't happen in, in Norfolk on Saturday. But they led the game. They were 14-10 in the fourth quarter. Troy got the game when he touched down. They played both their quarterbacks again, even though Gunnar Watson's still a little banged up. I would anticipate seeing both of them for the battle for the belt on Thursday against South, which is probably the biggest battle for the belt in the history of that series. Some people say if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I know the Cajuns can speak to that. Georgia Southern can certainly speak to that. But if you can find a way to make it work, and it appears that Troy has gone huge with the passing game, better than 300 yards combined through the air per contest. Neither team ran the ball, but Troy did just enough to hold off Texas State. I'm, I'm still that, – that was pleasing to see Texas State be in that game on the road and have a lead in the fourth quarter. I think you can still take a step as a program even though you don't win. But now if you're thinking that you got to get to a bowl game, you can't slip up much from here. But these last two weeks, I think, have helped Jake Spavadol's program, especially beating App and then putting yourselves in position to beat Troy on the road, which is still, for my money, one of the best, if not the best, defense in the league. You brought up the run game, and to me, I find, uh, are, are we seeing a shift in either Sunbelt Conference football or, I, I shouldn't say a shift, more of a shift to the passing game? I don't know if I'm the right or wrong person to ask about that <laughs> considering that we've gone from option to 45 to 50 passes per game but it's 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 all rpo based you've got 131 teams now and about 120 of them are running some version of the rpo where it's two plays in one play and i've talked with brian ellis and coach helton about this they might run 80 plays a game they might have 65 scripted runs but it turns into 45 passes just from the look that they're getting and that's all what's 
through Kyle Van Treese's face mask. If he's seeing here or he's seeing there, if this is open, hand off. If it's not, pull and throw. And James Madison was doing that to perfection the first really two quarters on Saturday before Georgia Southern started getting them at or behind the line of scrimmage. They ended up with three sacks. DBs made some made some plays in terms of pass breakups, especially on fourth down plays. But for so many offenses now that are RPO-based, if you're a defense, it makes it that much more challenging because you've got to be even more gap sound to be ready. Okay, is it run here, there? If he pulls, where's the pass going? They've got to be skilled and drilled to really be ready for everything. Whereas before, in the huddle, if it was called as a run, it was probably a run. If he goes to the line of scrimmage to check, if team's audible, then you probably got a good idea that it's a pass. But now the only check might be, okay, it's not RPO right, it's RPO left. We can do the two things this way and the two things that way. And it makes a defense that much more challenged. All right, so you brought up the quarterbacks there. Is quarterback play getting better in the Sun Belt then? Because you have to have some you have to have some good reads like you talked about. You have to have a quarterback that's smart enough to do these things, that quarterback that can see when to check off and when to do that. Is quarterback play getting better in the Sun Belt, in your opinion? Yeah. I mean the whole league is getting better, but if you don't have good quarterback play, you don't have a good collective league. And we've seen it just just about everywhere. If you can talk about a team that's winning, the quarterback play is good. And it's more that way now than it used to be because it used to be, okay, we've got to have a running back. We've got to have a running back. Quarterback takes a snap. It's, it's ground and pound style. More teams were that way instead of the open it up and throw the ball a lot. And now with RPO, when you can do both, you still need the quarterback to be able to make those decisions, make the correct decisions in a short amount of time and put the offense in the best possible position. And I can speak to Kyle Van Treese running more RPO system. He's got more than 2,500 yards passing. He's second in the country, but the Eagles are still running it 30, 35 times per game. And it's on him to make the decision when the call is on, if the run is there, if the pass is there, where do I put this football so we can maximize what we can do? And it's all up and down this league. Grace McCall's two-time player of the year. Chase Bryce set apps passing record last year. You just mentioned Levi Lewis. I know his, his career is over with. But look at the teams that have had some issues. Marshall, inconsistent quarterback play. They're going to have to probably play two this week. The Cajuns, inconsistent quarterback play. I know part of that is because Chandler's hurt and Woldridge didn't get a whole lot of time. He was playing here and there. But look what happened when he found some consistency. Offense started to motor, pick up a road victory in a place in Marshall, which at that point had the fourth best FBS winning percentage at home all time. Southern Miss, they had to go super back at the end of last year out of that Wildcat formation. They're having some more quarterback issues because Ty Keyes is out for the year. Does Frank Gore move back to quarterback? Do they stick with Wilkie? I think that they're trying to figure that out. Texas State's improved a little bit because they've got Lane Hatcher. South Alabama's got Carter Bradley. He threw for over 400 yards last week, set a school record, and it's no secret that they're one win away from bowl eligibility. So if you can find the places where the quarterbacks are playing well, odds are they're at least a winning record, if not trending upward. If there's issues with quarterbacks, they're probably asking questions in the locker room and the film room. The majority uh, of the fans that listen to this are, are Cajun fans. So, um, but but at the same time, you you brought up the Cajuns and the inconsistency inconsistency at time with the quarterback play. But how much? I mean, 
I shouldn't say how much of it. A lot of that is due, though, don't you think, to, uh, and I'm sorry, now it's a leading question now, but a lot of that is uh, just the inconsistency is the lack of playing time beforehand, don't you think? I mean, as far as, I mean, you got two guys that are coming in. Yes, they've got some experience, but they're not. They weren't guys that, that took, you know, 500 snaps or 100 snaps last year. And it's not their fault that Levi Lewis was a six-year quarterback. Yeah. That, that's just the facts. So he's statistically one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in program history. No disrespect to Jake DeLone, but you get you stay there long enough, you're able to accumulate, and that's what Shyworks did at Georgia Southern. He was a full four-year starter at quarterback. He's tied with Tracy Ham for the school record in touchdown passes. Now, nobody would say that Shy Works a better quarterback than Tracy Ham, but Shy did a lot of good here in the four years that he ran this offense. In case of Levi, there were some things he did exceptionally well, but I don't know that anybody would confuse Levi Lewis with Jake DeLone. That's no disrespect to either. It's just the fact that the stats you build up can frame an argument a certain way, but Jake DeLone played in the NFL for a number of years, was in the Super Bowl. Levi's got a lot of talent, but the NFL prospects probably weren't going to be there. Not mean he's not capable of the athleticism, but what he could do, it was probably that that sixth year was going to be it for him. And with consistency, you get reps in practice. You can rep it over and over again, but it's different when the lights go on, the stands get filled, and you've got to be able to make strong, focused decisions with everything else surrounding you. And when you're a first-time starter like Fields and you get hurt, that stunts your development. When you're Woolridge and you don't know exactly if or when you're going to play, that slows your progress. I'm not saying that Woolridge is going to be the guy going forward. If Fields is healthy, it could be his offense. But if Woolridge earns it, that's a chance to get consistency. Then if something happens there, you've got to go back and forth and back and forth and you keep playing ping pong. But the more that you can get, whether it's practice or game, specifically game to get in that kind of environment, that's where you find development. And that's where you ultimately find out who guys are. Well, I'm just glad we're talking this week and I'm not asking you to talk uh, Cajun fans off the off the ledge. <laughs> no, I think we covered that for a while. I and mean, then a win like that at Marshall. I know Marshall's struggling, but a midweek game there where the Cajuns probably needed to find some things out. I think they did. And unfortunately, I think Marshall did, too. Let's move on then. Uh, ULM uh, headed over to uh, Mobile against South Alabama. Uh, to me, a little bit of a shocker in the sense of that uh, ULM was up at halftime, but uh, I think South Alabama is a stronger team and showed that in the third quarter. But still, a little bit closer game than I'm sure that uh, than South Alabama wanted. Well, it probably shouldn't have been because they were up 21 in the fourth, and then they gave up those two touchdowns, so it made it look a little bit closer. How the receiver for ULM goes crazy. I think almost 250 yards receiving. He had two long touchdown catches in the game. It, it's proof that ULM can stick with anybody, a lot like Texas State, but they, they, they're still searching for that it factor, a lot like the big win that Texas State just got against Appalachian State two weeks ago. ULM is going to be in it against anybody, but depth wise and being able to make timely plays. I mean, you lead at halftime against a team that is clearly having its best season since they made the move up to the FBS. But now you saw why they're having the best season since they move up to the FBS because everything's working. They were able to come back. They were able to get the job done. And now if they handle Troy on Thursday, the West is theirs. And I think it's pretty clear unless they dramatically slip the last month of the season. Yeah, I, as of right now, I don't see that happen. But 
Um, Southern Miss, Arkansas State, uh, both teams, uh, I think you mentioned Southern Miss's quarterback, I believe, is out for the season. Uh, but, you know, a, a, a close game there uh, in Hattiesburg. But what, I guess, what did you see there? What was going on? Uh, Southern Miss, 13 points in the fourth quarter. They have to come back and win. I think Arkansas State is still playing better, but not ready for prime time. This is the reason why I was having so much trouble picking this game last week. Because two teams that middling, trying to figure it out, what are we good at? What can we excel at? And you saw it for both. When you're on the road and you're up two scores in the fourth quarter, Georgia Southern can attest to this from Coastal a few weeks back. Got to finish the job. But it was Southern Miss that did finish the job, working around some things offensively. And for Arkansas State, it's it's not a back-to-the-drawing-board kind of deal. It's pretty clear that they're on their way. But when you've got a league that's this strong and you see how strong it is when teams like that can get wins like that, it doesn't mean that Arkansas State isn't getting better, but it just means that there's still work to do if they want to get back to where they're supposed to. The um, uh, nice nice crowd there in Hattiesburg, 27,000 for, for a team that I won't, you know, that has had some opportunities uh, this year and, and took advantage of that uh, against Tulane. It's fun to see that again as a Cajun fan, going back to the days you mentioned uh, Jake DeLone, but also Brian Mitchell and, and, and Brett Favre. You know, those were some fun days. I remember going going to Hattiesburg to see those games. I didn't mean to miss Brian Mitchell. I, I can't think of him as a quarterback because when he was a Redskin and I was growing up, I think of him as a running back and a kicker turner. That's how I see 30 running in burgundy and gold up the field. I know that you guys see him as a quarterback and all that. I, I didn't mean to discount him there. I just know that my memories are more as a Redskin and winning Super Bowls. No, 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 no. And the first time I saw Levi Lewis in the number one jersey, he looked like Brian Mitchell's in a lot of ways. And, and Cajun fans look through uh, their glasses with Brian Mitchell with some very vermilion glasses. Brian was a, a, an outstanding player in what we needed there at the time. Almost 40, almost 40 years. So, but no, Brian was a, uh, Brian was a hell of a, so, uh, the final game of last weekend, the, the big, uh, what was it like there in, in Paulson stadium? I mean, you guys, I mean, ranked team coming in for what fourth, sixth time, I believe. Or it eighth? was the fourth, uh, fourth time a ranked team had come there. It was the I don't know how many times Georgia Southern off the top has played a ranked team, but the fourth time that they've come to Paulson. Okay. Um, I mean, James Madison jumps out early. What what happens after that? I mean, well, I can tell you what happened after that. Your quarterback goes nuts. What did he throw for 10,000 yards? Yet? Uh, Only 578. Okay. It, it looked like 578. Did you ever – is that – now, is that the, the most passing yards by the Georgia oh, Southern yeah. Yeah, Tracy Ham had it with 419 in the 85 FCA or one double A championship game. So yeah, that 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 was a school record by a pretty wide margin. Most pass attempts as well. Yes, 64 was is the most. My goodness, what were you? And then their quarterback throws for 468. 
So yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to tell you what, Grace McCall is the two-time player of the year in this league. Todd Santeo is the real deal. Okay. Perfect system. He can run. Of course, he can throw. He accounted for more than 500 yards, just like Van Treese did. He, he's a stud. And I would not be surprised if he ends up winning player of the year this year. I think he's that good. So a, a lot of the fans still don't know. I don't think, I, I mean, they saw James Madison was ranked and all, but a lot of the fans, now, what can you tell us about uh, James Madison moving forward with, with their system? I mean, do they have a lot of seniors? Are there transfers in? What, where are they – are they going to be able to sustain this, I guess? Yeah, and I think it's going to get better. I, I'm not going to say they're going to be 5-0 and every season, but they are easily the most equipped team to make the jump of anybody that has done this whether you're talking at Georgia Southern Coast or anybody else that's made the FCS to FBS jump, they've had this for a long time and they've wanted to make the jump for about two decades. They were looking for the right time and the right spot. Lo and behold, the Sunbelt needs to add a couple teams. The conversations escalate with Commissioner Gill and they come in with great facilities, passionate fan base, great recruiting area. Harrisonburg's an awesome college town. They've got the biggest athletic budget in the league now. Them and Old Dominion are the top two athletic budgets in the 14-team Sunbelt now. But them being year by year in the FCS semifinals, winning national championships, it's not a fluke. They just have better players. They've been able to recruit well. And they've been able to redshirt guys as well. And this is considering that they played two full seasons in the 2021 calendar. 2020, the FCS was wiped out. So they had their spring season, went to the FCS semifinals, lost. Came back three months later for the fall, went right back to the FCS semifinals and lost. They played 22 games in 10 months. That's why this year they're exercising both their bye weeks and they're only playing 11 games because they know they can't play for a conference title. They can't go to a bowl game. Now, they're trying to make sure that this is the only year that's the case. They need to get the waiver approved. I think it's going to get done. They're just – they're set up. This is not something where they need to build to this. They're already there. Kurt Signetti is a phenomenal head coach. He worked on Nick Saban's staff at Alabama for four years. He's been a head coach at Elon. It's a rebuild program at Division II IUP as well in Pennsylvania. So he knows he knows ball. Got a really good staff. And when you can go and find a quarterback like a Todd Senteo to run your system and run it this way, similar to what Georgia Southern has done with Kyle Van Trees for this version of Georgia Southern's air raid. I know it's it's termed air raid and they want to say it's balanced, but when you're throwing this much, it does have air raid to it. And to a degree, James Madison's got some air raid. They'll say that they've got more of a ground influence, but these are similar offenses in terms of tempo when you want to attach air raid to it. But this is something that the league is going to have to deal with. And I mean that in partially a bad way because they're going to be that good, but also in a good way because it's going to strengthen the league and it's going to make for some fun weekends. But yeah, that, that that's a really good program. Did you, I mean, I know you've been doing this a while at Georgia Southern and this probably don't have records for this, but 12 rushing yards for Georgia Southern. Second second fewest in school history. Okay, okay. I didn't know if, if they had that information available. You know, it's not something you want to keep track of, the, the least amount, but 
you never want to have it that way because this offense, they do want to be balanced. If they're throwing at 45, they want to be running at 40 or 45. They do want to try to mix things up and make sure you're not dedicating too much one way or the other. But when they realize that JMU's number one ranked rush defense in the country was the number one rush defense in the country, they realized, okay, they're bringing all this pressure from a number of different areas. Let's just chuck it, find the open spaces, find the gaps in their zone blitzes and be able to rack up yards. And that's the decision-making that we talked about earlier with Kyle Van Trees, putting the ball where it needed to be, trusting his receivers to make plays. And you're looking at the stat broadcast and you see 350, 400, 450. And then the after one of the long passes, it was 508. And I looked at Terry and Russ and I said, a Georgia Southern quarterback has just thrown for 500 yards. And we're all awake. We're not dreaming this. He ends up with 578 with the touchdown to Burgess at the end. Probably looked a lot different than what Georgia Southern fans are used to, but and I said this on a couple of podcasts already, as long as the Eagles have more than the other team does at the end, I don't know that it really matters what it looks like. I'm just looking, and I apologize. We talked off air. I did not get to watch any football this weekend because of a class reunion, but I'm just looking. So, you know, Georgia Southern's up 37-31, uh, and then with, you know, um, JMU goes 75 yards in a minute and a half, basically, to go up 38-37. But then Georgia Southern turns around 70, 75 yards in 10 plays in a minute and 18 seconds. That had to have been a wild one to call. The, the last few minutes, the, the whole game, it was the, the ebbs and flows and all that, but specifically the last couple of minutes because that final drive, there were a lot of things that happened because Georgia Southern had a fourth and 10 from JMU's 47. Caleb Hood catches the ball across the middle. He's wide open when he makes the catch, but he's two yards short of the first down. He gets hit, breaks a tackle. Two more guys try to get him. He ends up ducking both of them, puts his offhand down twice to balance himself. He ends up getting past the first down. I think he got 14 total. And then two plays later is when the touchdown pass happened to Burgess. But on that play, Georgia Southern wasn't trying to score that quickly. They wanted to milk clock and not give JMU a chance to do what they did because they had a drive go less than a minute for 91 yards just earlier that quarter. But the play that Burgess scored on, it was actually an audible that Van Trees saw. He looked at the coverage, saw it was to his liking, and he said, look, I got my best receiver one-on-one. I'm going to take my chance. He threw it up. His guy made a play. Minute 10 left. Got the touchdown. Got the two-point conversion. And then next possession, got the interception and sealed it. Wow. Uh, remind me again, all of all, all of the games are uh, on on Learfield. You can go back and listen to them? Yes. Okay. Are, are, is JMU a Learfield also? Yes, they are. Good deal. I mean, that – that that's that's some fun stuff man i i and i was getting texts during my reunion people text hey are you watching this georgia southern game you watching this and i'm like no i'm I'm, you know i'm i'm at a reunion and everything and and like oh i'm sorry but then five minutes later you watching this georgia southern game i'm like no stop it i'm gonna you know i'm and i wanted to watch it on sunday but after a reunion it was nap time on sunday (laughs) i missed three yes guys i did just walk out of the reunion thank you for timing that up so well i appreciate that yeah, I, I'm sitting there. I slept through most of the first three quarters of the Saints game. So, uh, but no, I'm going to have to go catch the end of that game again. Uh, so, fun time. Congratulations on the win. Dan, let's take a quick break and we'll come and we'll talk about this week's football games. 
You've been listening. We're talking with Craig Malasa and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Welcome back into We're Talking. We're talking Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Uh, Danny, a fun couple of nights on, uh, coming up here tonight and Thursday with uh, Sunbelt Conference football. I know fans don't like it if you're the home team, but for everybody else in the league, especially the way the league is playing, uh, this, is, this is a couple of fun nights that we get to watch some football. Yeah, with Wednesday, Boone, App and Georgia State. Georgia State is still, I'm not going to say desperation mode, but they need to continue this. Let's keep winning football games because anytime they lose, if they don't even things up before that, it's going to make it tough to get to the postseason. And they're also trying to get towards the top of the standings. And with back-to-back, back-to-back wins. But with App, like uh, I think it's come up before, If App doesn't win this game, I think they're in trouble on a number of different fronts because they have two FCS games on their schedule, and you can only count one of those towards bowl eligibility. So if the conference championship goes out the window, they have to win seven games just to get to a bowl. So that's if they lose their game tonight. And then with the battle for the belt with Troy and South, we've already talked about it. It's the biggest battle for the belt in the history of the series. I think you got the upper hand from either. If they win that contest, being in Mobile, I'm sure South wants to back it up. And it, it would it would seem that it's South's offense against Troy's defense. But if South doesn't have the pass rush and the defensive backs ready to defend that Troy pass, it could just as easily go the other way, too. App State, I mean, if you look at the two teams that had the big wins earlier, or two of the three teams, I'm sorry, that had the big wins uh, earlier this this year with App State and Marshall, you know, Marshall beating Notre Dame, App State beating uh, Texas A&M. No? Georgia Southern beat Nebraska, too, so make that three. Well, yeah, okay. Well, that's why I said two of the three bigger games. And and Old Dominion. Old Dominion uh, beat Virginia Tech. All right, so two of the four bigger games in the league. There you got it, baby. There we are. Two of the four bigger games in the league, all coming from the uh, Eastern Conference schools, though. But – uh, a little bit of surprise at App State and Marshall at the are at the bottom of the standings right now. Sure, absolutely. Because <laughs> Mark, Marshall was supposed to come in this league and run things, program wise, they had been one of the top in Conference USA for years. Rasheen Ali had twenty five touchdowns last season to lead the country. So yeah, yeah, you were expecting a lot out of Marshall to come in, and with the, what App has done, winning six of the last seven East or being part of six of the last seven conference championship situations, whether they've won the league before conference title game was in place or whatever, the East has largely been theirs. And even with Coastal, Coastal was in first, but they lose last weekend. So the East, in the, to a degree, is up for grabs. And App may not be able to lose again if they want the East, but – don't look at the schedule and think that, okay, we can get this one. We can get this one. You'll be lucky to get any of them if you're anybody at this point. The, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a strange, strange world. And for what I guess from what we're used to seeing, but there is, there, there, there are the new kids in town to quote the Eagles. 
So, or semi quote the Eagles, but uh, moving on, uh, ULM visits Army, which uh, Army continues its uh, Sunbelt Conference uh, schedule. But, you know, this is not the last game that Army will play against the Sunbelt Conference team. Later on, they'll they'll play Troy. But uh, Army 0-2 against Sunbelt Conference teams, 2-3 and or 2-4 and on the season. What happens there, in your opinion? I think Army's favored by a touchdown, but I'm going to go in the direction of ULM. I think it's time for them to win a road game. I think Dusty, who does Warhawk reports, said it's been three years since they won a game on the road. Army is not the same Army. They won last week. They beat Colgate. But they're struggling on defense as much as they have in a while. I, I think ULM gets this done. Okay. Uh, Marshall visiting James Madison. That To me, that's a huge game for Marshall. And the same for James Madison. They've got another opportunity to show that they're just not a fluke, that you know it, it's not going down. What happens in that game? Who has the upper hand there? I'm sure James Madison has to be favorite, which I should probably pull that up. Yeah, I think it's I think it's 12 points. It might it might be a little bit more than that. The the issues at quarterback for Marshall make it even seem like it could be a JMU blowout. It's an important game for both because I think that Marshall could really fall off. If they don't get the quarterback issue figured out, I think their defense is very good. They've got studs. But if you can't have consistency at quarterback, which what we talked about a bunch earlier, in this league, it's going to hurt you even more. And James Madison going to get a chance to see what they look like after their first loss, thanks to Georgia Southern. They had talks of, oh, if we get our waiver this year, we can go to the Cotton Bowl because we're the second highest G5 team and found out what life in the FBS can be like. Turn it over four times. And you have a punt block for a touchdown, even though I mean, James Madison was better than Georgia Southern. They're, they're a better team. But Georgia Southern won the game because they made more winning plays. I would guess that JMU corrects itself and gets this done, not because their talent is that much better, because I think Marshall has comparable talent. But I think that Marshall is in a really tough spot where you can't have a whole lot of confidence in them relative to who they're playing. It's 12 and a half points too much, though. I think that's about right. Okay. I'm not, buddy, I'm telling you, Jamie's really good. Really no, good. I, I, I've seen some of their games. I've been very impressed. So uh, I was just said, uh, Southern Miss, Texas State. A game, you know, both teams are still looking to, to move up, but, uh, uh, you know, Southern Miss is, uh, it, it's interesting to me that Southern Miss is favored by two and a half, but they're playing in St. Marcos. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one either, but I, I don't, I don't set the lines. I don't pretend to know why things get set the way they do. I, I do think that Texas State is the clear has the clear advantage because they're undefeated at Bobcat Stadium. I think it's the first time in 11 years they've started 3-0. and I don't think it was an accident that they beat App State. I think that they exposed some things with App, but not just a bad night for the Mountaineers. Now, granted, we're going to see against George State how true that is. But I think this is Spavadol's – it's tough to say most complete team because they need to get to the postseason to be able to make that true. I do think, though, it's his most encouraging team. 
because they got the quarterback, they got the running backs, their defense, which has been hiddenly strong. They've always been good against the run. It just gets swept under the rug because they've struggled to win games. But now people are realizing that, hey, that's a solid defense. And now at least they've got the offense that's not turning it over and can back it up and help them get wins like this. I, I do think that they, they beat Southern Miss. Arkansas State visiting uh, the Cajuns in Lafayette. You know, it's it's a series that I won't say the Cajuns have dominated, but are thirteen and seven over the last uh, since two thousand and nine and one at home. While they're nine and one at home, uh, the last uh, uh, eleven games they've played at Cajun Field, eight of those have been one score games. So, does Arkansas State have some firepower to to? They can pull the, you know, last year the Cajuns were a heavy favorite up there and, and only won by one point, I believe, if I remember correctly. Was that the 10 minute drive game? I think it was, uh, no. Or was that the year before? I think it was year four, before. So, but Arkansas State, any, I shouldn't say chance, everybody has a chance. But the Cajuns are favored by seven. About right? This is one of the league's best rivalries, and it's one of the league's longest, if not the longest, rivalry. I know there's only been Sundog football since 2001. But there's heat. And like a Georgia Southern App State, it, it's funny to see how teams from different states knock heads and why things exist the way that they do. I mean, Georgia Southern and App have the history from the Southern Conference, be able to come into this league and have as good a rivalry as they have. Uh, I'm, I'm always interested for this week with Cajun fans and Red Wolves fans because you have very distinct fan bases that think very distinct ways. But I do know that when this game is played at Cajun Field, it typically goes the way of Louisiana. They're only winning once there all the time. And I know that Jay has seen them all and he remembers them all, especially against Arkansas State. I would think that continues. I think the Red Wolves are better, but I, I don't know that they're ready to go to Cajun Field and win that game. I think to me the Cajuns. Uh, this is this has got to be a statement game that says, especially after the Marshall win, we need it's it, it's time for the Cajuns to back that win up now. And uh, I'm hoping Cajuns by at least ten in this one. Then maybe in a way, the Cajuns would need Troy to beat South Alabama, and then when you match up with Troy, take care of that, and then hoping that South get picked off somewhere at some point and then make for a crazy little tiebreaker situation. But we can look forward to that over the next few weeks. Exactly. We'll see what happens this week. I, I, at Right now, I'm not pulling for anybody anywhere uh, because it seems like when I pull for somebody, uh, they lose. So I'm just going to stay neutral at this point. I know I'm a fan. Just be a fan. Don't know, be a fan I'm, of somebody. Just be a fan. I, I, I'm being a fan of Sunbelt Conference football right now. I know I have no control over the game, but why take a chance? So it's a fun time to be a fan of this league. It is. And I think it's only gonna it's only gonna get better because as this league shows its strength, I mean, now you're I think some have realized how good the competition is and some do consider it the best group of five league, but we're not gonna be very far down the line where everybody is thinking that way because I think that the league is going to pass the American. I think the league is going to pass Mountain West. And I do believe that once it is said and done and you get a chance to look around and survey everything, 
you're not going to have a specific moment when it happens, but you're going to look around and say, everything that everybody said has come true, that the Sun Belt is the best group of five league. I think we, in some ways, we've showed some of that with, uh, um, I'm not going to say dominance, but we've had a winning record in bowl games against other conferences. So you could see us slowly coming up. I think it's, I'm not sure how many number of years, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the Sunbelt has the best FBS bowl winning percentage. I think it's four or five years collectively. So whenever you're on the national stage postseason, league gets it done. And that's now, that's before they're getting perceived as collectively the best G5 league. Finally, uh, a game that you're going to be, that you're very familiar with, Georgia Southern heading up to Old Dominion. Old Dominion, though, in a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I know the home team usually gets three points, you know, when, when you're betting, but a little bit of surprise to me that Old Dominion's favorite in the game. I know they came off a big win, win it, uh, against Coastal, but at the same time, Georgia Southern took down JMU. Thoughts on that one? I, I would expect there to be a lot of points. Okay. I, I would expect this to be a high-scoring game, and – whether Old Dominion does it as a running team, which they showed against Coastal, or they feature their all who's going to be an All-American, Ollie Jennings, their wide receivers, number two in the country and receiving. The tight end, Zach Koontz, got hurt the week before. He didn't play against Coastal. I don't think he's going to play this weekend. I haven't heard anything, but uh, reading through the tea leaves a little bit, it sounds like he may have suffered something kind of significant. So we'll have to see if AD suits up on Saturday. He might, but I, I, I would doubt it. And for Georgia Southern, everybody's going to gear up for the pass coming off of 578 against JMU. But if you start dropping seven to eight guys in coverage, Jalen White, Jeremy Green, OJ Arnold, more than capable as running backs, even throwing AJ Brown in there, former walk on who has gotten some more looks the last the last little bit. That's a more than capable running game to do some damage against Old Dominion. But they are last in the league in pass defense. They're known, they have a little bit of Arkansas State in them because they really put pressure on people. They're going to send a lot of five- and six-man pressures. They lead the country with better than four sacks per game. They just sacked Grayson McCall seven times, and that's a guy that can move. He's He moves better than Van Treese. Now, Van Treese can move subtly to make sure the pressure goes around him instead of right at him. There's a reason why Georgia Southern's only given up two sacks this year. The offensive line is better. And Vantrese knows how to move amidst the pocket, and he knows where to put the football, and he knows how to do it quickly. He can process things, and he can make good decisions. As long as Georgia Southern doesn't let ODU overwhelm them with their pass rush, I think he's going to be able to do what he wants to do. And I think I say this just about every week. If they can end drives with touchdowns instead of field goals and force Old Dominion to do the opposite, then this could this should be a game that Georgia Southern can win if they follow that game plan. But on the other side, if ODU does it that way, then they're going to win. I think it fits to be another close game. It should be another one-score game in the fourth quarter. And whoever can tackle better and whoever can run their plan better, even though it is Old Dominion's homecoming, yeah, I, this, this is going to be a really good game. Is it get harder for teams in the Sunbelt Conference to schedule their homecoming. You know, I, I mean that, you know, it, at, at one time it was like you knew this team was not very good, so you'd schedule, you know, you'd make that your homecoming game. 
I okay. The, the way I'll answer that is I don't know that you know until you know. It's it's a lesson learned. You 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 put who you can in a spot where you can make the fans go home happy, more fans than what you would probably get. Sometimes it's a learning experience in a good way. Sometimes it's in a bad way. But whatever happens, you need to find a way to learn from it. I'm I'm gonna have to go through the schedule after the, at the end of the year and look at look at how teams did on the on homecoming. I'd be interested. I mean, I I know it's a stupid stat, but it's it, I'm just I I do lots of stupid things, you know. Georgia Southern won its homecoming against Ball State. I already got you started. There you go. Okay, and the Cajuns lost to South Alabama. One for one. There you go. And, Col- and Coastal lost to Old Dominion. One and two. So hopefully one and three after this weekend with Old Dominion, but we'll see. Yeah. So uh, okay, uh, and we're gonna have to find a name for this segment because I'm tired of asking for words of wisdom at the end of the. But no, seriously, what any any last words of wisdom? Most of the league will have four games left after this weekend, which means there's right around a month to go for you to figure out where your season's going to go. Some are competing for league championships. It's a mess in other ways. I think the West and the East are both up for grabs because some that were predicted to run the league are getting run in some ways. But like Wednesday night, App has a chance to say we're still top dog in the East. If Georgia State wins, it's going to get really, really interesting down the stretch. In the West, South wins, I think you can basically write in Sharpie that they're going to be in the championship game. If Troy wins, same thing in the West. Let these weekends be enjoyable for a reason. You've got a chance to cheer on your teams, but when everybody can play meaningful football and not just fill three or three and a half hours, when everybody is playing meaningful games, which shows you how collectively strong the league has gotten, that's what we've been trending towards. And I think that we are, we're almost there. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Danny, thank you as always. Uh, talk about trending up. We're getting more and more people listening t- to this each week. So thank you for your time as always. My pleasure, Craig. So you've been listening to We're Talking today, talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.